This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. This is Catalog and Cocktails. It's a weekly live hangout. And today it's a very special episode. It's an honest, no BS, DBT coalesce conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, a longtime data nerd and product guy, joined by Juan Cicada. I'm Juan. Tim, thank you so much. I'm Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist here at Data.World, and it is a pleasure. It's an honor. I am so excited about this because this is the first time we're doing something like an after party for this awesome conference. I look forward to many more of these. And today we have an awesome, awesome uh, lineup. Uh, we have two of our good friends that are, are, it's part of the Austin community because we're an Austin company. Uh, they're folks who have been inside the data space for so long and they live and breathe data. I'm look, talking about Mitus Karia, who is a CDO and the CTO of the Zebra, who's had so many past CTO uh, experiences and also Claire Look from the Zebra, who started out as the data product manager of the Zebra and has grown into so many leadership roles and now is a VP of data. And uh, we are both not just fans of DBT, I think we're customers of DBT, also customers of Data.World. So we got a lot here to go talk about. Glad you guys are here. Cheers. How's everybody doing? Welcome. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Awesome. Absolutely. So let's, to, following the, our catalog and cocktails approach we do here, we'll do our tell and toast. So what are we drinking and what are we toasting for? Claire, how about you? All right. Well, I am drinking our Star Schema mocktail, so I appreciate everyone uh, getting the mocktail recipe for me this week. And I'm going to toast to, it is my boss's birthday, Tesh, cheers to you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> we get you. to celebrate his birthday with him today at this after party, so that is what I'm toasting to today. Well, thank you, Claire. And, uh, and I'm drinking the, uh, the regular version of the uh, Star Schema cocktail which tastes very fantastically like a, a spiced apple cider. Uh, and I guess I'm going to toast to being able to, to celebrate with you all for my birthday and, and chat one of my favorite things, uh, which is data. Love it. How about you, Tim? I will also cheers to your birthday, Mitesh. So glad that you could join us on uh, your special day and cheers to the whole DBT community. It's just exciting to be here, a part of such a great conference and a great community. So really appreciate it. And I agree, this does not taste like alcohol. This is tricky. <laughs> scary. Well, little well, scary. I'm actually, I'm actually at a hotel right now. So I went to the bar. I told the bartender, I gave him the, the recipe. And it's like, please make something. And it, yeah, I, he did a great job. This does taste like a, a spicy apple cider. So cheers and happy birthday, Mitish. Love this that cheers. we're all here together. Thank you. Cheers. And cheers to everyone here who's joining us. Yeah. So I think we had a little thread going on in the chat that we're, we're looking. Hey, go, go uh, tell us what you're drinking today and to share pictures or whatever. So uh, we always have the warm up. We have a, our funny question here of the day to kick this off. So, what have you transformed? You, someone else, into something else for a costume or a product or something? What have you transformed? Who Good wants question. to go first? I'll, I'll go. I'll say transform my my kids. Right, like they they it's scary to look at them and, and see how big they've gotten already. And uh, and my older one I'm about to to join high school next year. So. Uh, so it, it's crazy how much uh, and how many parallels there are between, you know, raising kids and, and leading teams. I love that. How about you, Claire? I'm going to go relevant to DBT in this conference and say at the Zebra, we transformed our technical analyst into analytics engineer. So that is something 
we, I mean, it's great to be here because we wouldn't have, you know, really discovered that title and done all of that without kind of really digging into the DBT community and seeing how that grew. So that's definitely something we've transformed is that role. Tim, what have you transformed? Oh my goodness. Well, obviously over at data.world, we're DBT users as well. And so we've tra transformed some folks into analytics engineers. But I will say that um, I've I've transformed my morning routine. Uh, the, one of the only sort of positive things that have come out of sort of COVID here is that I actually kind of get up at a consistent time and I go for a run most mornings. So I'm excited about that. That's a good thing. <laughs> well, I'll take another one. So I've, I've transformed uh, research and, and pushed it into real product, into company and sold it. So I think that's something I'm uh, pretty proud of and really excited about kind of bridging these worlds of academia and the real world. So, all right, cheers to transformations. Cheers. Uh, cheers. So, okay. So he here's, here's kind of the deal. We're doing this live and we're watching on the Slack. So um, we got a couple of, we, we've kind of prepared some of the topics we want to go chat about and we've kind of mentioned it before we're going to talk about data teams, data cultures, data mesh, data catalogs. But if there's any other topic, just put it into the chat, uh, into the Slack where we're watching. Also, we always have this segment of our, of our lightning round questions. So if you have any questions, preferably with like yes or no answers, um, put them in. We'll be watching them and then we'll be throwing these out to Mitish and Claire towards the end of the broadcast here so yeah we, we are literally watching the channel right now so please post your questions there are no dumb questions and we will be integrating it live into the show and also into the lightning round so please please post your questions all right so let's kick it off honest no bs so why is dbt such a big deal i i always i, I mean the first time i've been looking at dbt i'm like i mean i can't believe this didn't exist before and, and, and now we're seeing it, but like, why didn't it exist before? And why now? Like, why is this such a big deal? And, and how big of a deal is that? Claire, kick us off. I would say, I mean, I think back to, you know, some of my analyst roles that I would consider analytics engineering, but what we were doing in terms of, you know, Tableau extracts were our way of transforming raw data and making them accessible in reports or, you know, leveraging Spark or leveraging Hive. And, you know, we were doing, we were transforming some of this raw data, but it was all in different areas and there wasn't that consistency. And so it's just amazing that someone has packaged that up and thought, hey, this is something we're all doing over and over and over in different ways, depending on the scale or size of our team and data and said, this is a product. This is a common problem that we are seeing across all these different teams. And this is something that, you know, we can say, hey, like the SQL translation layer is a product um, and making that accessible for large groups has been, yeah, very, very transformative for sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd add on there. I, I remember uh, building things using Talend and SQL scripts and, you know, cron jobs and, and all sorts of things where you get multi-thousand line SQL files with no way to test, no way to reuse, no way to, to share, right? And, and we've taken a lot of what has become kind of standard engineering practice and, and DBT has brought it to data and data transformation. I mean, this is one of the things I'm super excited about DBT and just having these transforms 
as first class citizens is that it's that right. It's before it was this thing kind of like oh it's you leave it behind right. Uh, um, it, it's it's just it's part of the a part of the process, but it's not just part. It's a core. It's a core element of everything you're doing in the data, and I think that's one of the big transformations that I love about this. And and I, I one of the cool things about bo having both of you here in this conversation is that Mitas, you've had this true executive, and you can see how how the technology has transformed companies from the executive point of view. And Claire, like you've really been, I mean, rolling up your sleeves and doing all the analytics work, but also managing the teams to go do this. How has this evolution been in the past, in the past couple of years uh, from, from companies and new companies coming around and thinking about transformations as first-class citizens and building up these tools to, to think about it? How, how, how have you seen this evolution? I, I can start with uh, before, you know, early on and then hand it off to Claire. But, you know, when we first started, you, you know, our analytics and like BI and data journey at, at the Zebra, we were looking at tools like RJ Metrics, you know, warehouse point and click transformation, very limited um, things that we could get going and running on the side. And even when we then moved to Looker, right, LookML was a big step up in terms of modeling, but it quickly gets hairy, right? It quickly gets uh, to the point where it's in source, like source control, but you can't test it. It's, it's really hard to share. Um, and, you know, I think that then we get to the, the power and I can, you know, uh, you know, go over to, to Claire now in terms of what we've been able to do since introducing DBT and going from there. Yeah, I think so. We've we've been pretty early adopters. I think we started using DBT in 2018, end of 2018. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've been able to move the majority, well, all of our transformations over to DBT. And so that's been something where it allows us like before, it allows us to really establish kind of the analysts and analytics engineering team as well, because they have something to work within and something to establish like best practices across the team. And so I think we've been able to really scale out that whole practice and data modeling as a team um, and be able to support a lot of different areas of our business by leveraging that versus kind of the point and click good for different areas, but not necessarily for the scale component. That's interesting. And, you know, Claire, Mitesh, obviously you all have built a, uh, a really powerful team over at the Zebra to work on a lot of these problems. And, you know, as you've adopted DBT, as you've expanded the use of that, you know, using it in combination with a bunch of modern tools here, uh, how have you been thinking about your data team, how you structure that data team, and how has the role of the analytics engineer been a really big impact on all of that? I'll take this one, Claire. Yeah, sure. We have definitely grown rapidly. So I think when I when we first adopted DBT, we had one analytics engineer, one data scientist, one data engineer. You know, we had one of kind of each key role, one data product manager. So we were really like, let's figure out what we can do with the tools that we have to now we have a 50 person data org. So we've kind of just, um, we really started with, I think, what is that foundation? But really as we were growing, it was, okay, we got to establish like, what are our core data sets? I think one of the first things we did was this project data recap. If anyone on the team is listening, they'll be like, oh gosh. Um, but that was really to say, okay, what do we have? What are we trying to build? What are the different ways people are looking at our data? Not saying it was successful, but saying it was something where we were like, let's take kind of this modern tools and approach to our data 
and go build it as a product and then scale people accordingly with the increasing demand because the data team wasn't the only one that's growing. Every other department is growing. So the needs that are coming into the team, so the ability to say, okay, we can build these core data sets, but we need to have multiple analytics engineers be able to live in this code without creating, you know, too much chaos there. So yeah, I, I think we, you know, we we grew to a point where the the size of the code base and the, the size of our, our like our data and domain was larger than any one person could really keep in their head, right? And so onboarding is an issue that, you know, if you can modularize, if you can separate out domains, you can you can ramp people up to be able to have them be more effective and more impactful sooner. Um, you get, you know, this issue of you, you get to a certain size where you change something in one place and something unintended breaks somewhere else or, or vice versa, right? And by, by splitting out chunks, um, you know, it, you get the, to limit the blast radius. Um, and then really, I think, and, you know, we'll probably get to some of this as we talk later, it, in my mind, it's the foundation for scale, um, you know, and setting us up for how we, uh, you know, grow and, and support the, the org as it continues to, to grow. So let's dive a little bit more in, into this. And I, you just talked about how to scale and some conversations we've had before is about, I love your, the, the threes and the tens, right? But things start changing with, with respect to threes and tens. And Claire, what you just said is that, I mean, at the beginning you were just like one of each and now you have a team of 50. I always wonder, this is a conversation I have with a lot of people is this balance between centralization and decentralization, right? So you probably start with a centralized team and then you're like, well, I can't, I can't be a bottleneck, right? So you start figuring out that balance. What is that process? I mean, I know we've talked about threes and tens is a good way of approaching that. Um, I really, really would appreciate kind of more of your insights about this because this is a conversation we have all the time, centralization, decentralization. Yeah. Well well, I mean, I, I think this goes right into the one of the hottest topics in, in the field right now, that of data mesh, right? Which is, a, you know, a possible solution or an approach to, to addressing this scale. And, you know, I, I kind of look at it as, as we hit around 30, 40 people is when we started to see some of these issues where we started to say, hey, we need to actually take a look. We had centralized to get some consistency, to get, you know, shared hiring, to get uh, to build up certain skill sets and, and, you know, and processes. And now we get to, to 30 and with looking forward to growing the team, but also the entire company and say, we need to set ourselves up so that the data team is no longer like no longer owns every bit of data for the company. Instead, the data team is providing the underlying platform, the tools, the processes, the governance that supports different domains owning their own data, right? And and the data team kind of pulling it all together. And so I think that that's the big transformation that we're going to see between, you know, 50 and 100 or, you know, the, the stage of the company right now uh, that really kind of speaks to that next step of not being centralized, but also not being completely distributed. At, at what point in the growth of, you know, the zebra, did it become clear that you needed to kind of change your approach a little bit, that you couldn't just kind of continue to have it be 100% a centralized approach, but that you needed to start to become more distributed? And, you know, how, what role does like DBT and analytics engineers kind of play in that move to distribution? Um, well, I, I mean, I guess I'll take the first part. I can uh, uh, yeah, sure. second to, to Claire, but I, I'd say it probably became, you know, 
clearer the beginning of this year or so, right, right around that, that 30-ish size of our team, right? Because all of last year was around centralizing, hiring up, you know, getting the right team structures in place. And then right around the beginning of this year is when we started to see, oh, it, this is getting really difficult to support the entire business from one central team. Yeah, I think it was definitely, we hit a point in just, yeah, support in general, like centralized support and just the number of questions you're getting, the number of things that you are now supporting across these teams, that it wasn't until just recently, you know, we said, okay, we need foundational teams plat as as most companies grow on the engineering side, same thing for data. We need our platform teams, our data platform core reporting, like who are those people? But then we also still need, we can't halt the business and say, all of a sudden you cannot get any data to measure the effectiveness of your product or to measure measure agency in our case, we deal with insurance. Um, so we still have analytics engineers supporting other areas who, with the benefit of being centralized, they understand how to work within DBT. They understand where to, you know, work within DBT. And there's some of that shared process that we've built out by being centralized, but the actual domain, they start to become aware of, and they're able to work within there while we focus our centralized teams on pure, like foundational platform work, because we were doing both for too long. And it that gets you in a in a tough situation where you're trying to support everything. That makes sense. And you know, just to even rewind a little bit and go back to the teams uh, aspect of all of this again, you know, we actually get an interesting question here in the channel coming from Julia. Uh, she mentions, you know, I liked Claire how you put um, put it that you know your team transformed into analytics engineers. Have there actually been some other technologies that have had a major impact uh, on your team's identity? Uh, or what does it mean when a tool changes roles on your team? Great question. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like I know you all use Looker. Like, did that have a really big impact yeah, as well? Right. Were there other tools that kind of fit into that mold? Yeah. So I, definitely... I was going to say, I'm curious, honest, no BS as much as you can. It's like you, you start talking about LookML and like, oh, this was a great first step, but then you hit some barriers around it. So maybe that helped for something, but you hit some barriers and then this DBT comes around. Like, how did that change the folks within your team? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I did a whole... I did a talk at one of the Looker events that was like changing the next gen of analysts because it was like now your analysts are becoming more like analytics engineers because they're able to be in the LookML and they're able to, you know, point at this field and then explore, trace it all the way back to the source code. And that was something I hadn't seen in Tableau or anything else where you could go straight from I'm in a dashboard and now I'm tracing it back to source code. And I was like, that changes the game for analysts because they're able to understand like all the all the underpinnings that really are multiple roles or steps in the process. And so I definitely think there were like Looker really advanced um, our analysts. And I think we want to get back to that because right now we do have its majority are um, analytics engineers that are in DBT. So we have less of that collaboration where our analysts are actually making changes to the source code. So there is a little bit of, of that kind of growing pains as you switch from Looker to DBT that we've worked through. Uh, but I think it does level up your, 
I think Looker was one that did level up the technical skills of our analysts for sure. Yeah. So, so oh, go ahead. I was, I was going to mention here that the, Gregor, uh, one of the threads, is making an interesting point, which is one I've always had to. And he says, is the role of the analytics engineering ba bounded, basically connected to the DBT community? And and uh, again, honest, no BS, right? You hear analytics engineer and you immediately know, oh, that's DBT because DBT is pushing this and stuff, which is true. And But let's take that label away, right? I guess the, the label of the analytics engineer, let's call it foo, right? That work that the analytics engineer is, foo is doing right now, um, I mean, that's actually happening. I mean, there's a need for that, forget, regardless of what yeah. people we're putting onto it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it's the job of taking raw data and modeling it and transforming it into usable business data, right? Um, and putting it together. And and whether you do that called an analytics engineer or called a data engineer, called, you know, whatever you call it, you know, foo, call it an analyst at some place, places, right? It, it's that job of really understanding what the end like what's going to support what the business needs and taking the raw data putting it together transforming it and modeling it yeah i i want to share this podcast with uh, my old uh, hr manager because i would have conversations with him around we have these analysts it's not quite what i need we have these data engineers in my previous company because we were building out a universal catalog data set and it's like i need people who can just take all this data, turn it into a universal product catalog. And it was that in-between skill set, and we didn't know what to call it. I'm glad we got there at the Zebra, but it was one of those, it was like, what do we recruit for? And we ended up turning some of our analysts into data engineers, but I think we have found they weren't, there was no DBT involved in that, but the role was still the same. And so yeah, we wrote it down here, and, and I think this is something to go pin right now. The role of the analytics engineer doesn't have to be tied to a technology like DBT. At the end of the day, it's about transforming and modeling that raw, inscrutable, complicated, ugly, shitty enterprise data, right, into data that is just beautiful that the business understands and they can go run with it to go make more value. So, so generate more value. I personally, I I call this always. Um, more kind of the knowledge engineer, or I push this term called the knowledge scientist too, but I think it's all evolved is I want to be able to, it's somebody almost like a bridge, right? They're in the middle. Mm -hmm. They know how to go talk to the business, understand their needs, modeling, like put on the whiteboard, do that type of stuff, figure out where's in the data, do the transfer for the stuff. And, and I think that's something that is crucial that we, we just uh, haven't uh, brought that into, into organizations today. So I think I'm really happy that this is a that this role call it the analytics engineer or the knowledge engineer whatever we just need more of that and that more of that mindset. Uh, I, and also I think about it is what comes after the data scientist, right? It's, it's been ten years of this now. I think there's something's coming next, and I think this is this this is a big one. Well, I think that this that the engineer part of this too also really helps with understanding. Like this is an opportunity for testability. It's an opportunity for reusability. It's an opportunity for modularization, a lot of these concepts that are, are really kind of core to engineering, right? That, and, you know, DBT has helped bring that there, but also the, the term analytics engineer, that that is what I think we want those people doing is that modeling, but then also the engineering aspects of it too. Yeah, it's clear that there is an overarching theme here, which is like, there's all these best practices around software, right? Whether it's modularization around reuse, don't repeat yourself. Um, configuration as code, configuous integra uh, con continuous integration and deployment, 
And it seems like, although obviously DBT is is a big component uh, that is very popular, that's pushing a lot of this, whether it's your LookML, there's a lot of BI-oriented players that are moving in this direction now. Um, obviously, there's you know your Python code and your notebooks and all that kind of stuff, right? This can all fit this paradigm of analytics engineering, which seems seems exciting. It seems like an evolution of the field that we're in. Absolutely, yeah. So, so I, I want hmm. I want to go jump onto another topic about like about culture, and I think right now Julie was is asking another great question, which is so I was thinking about this too. Is we're talking about scaling teams and stuff, and how do you go train? all these like all, all these folks within like the culture you have understanding the the business terminology about this right um i think it, it, and, and also i'm just reading here people always want the roles to evolve and to learn more skills but often hiring can be skewed to look for someone who has done it before so i mean you were mentioning too that you were talking with your your previous uh, hr colleague like what is that right balance yeah yeah it's a uh, go for it claire yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's challenging, I was going to say. Um, you know, I, I guess there's a couple parts of that. One is, you know, kind of how do you build and preserve that culture? And the other is, you know, uh, how do you find the, the people? Uh, you know, I think the, the second part of that is perhaps easier, you know, particularly for us at the Zebra to answer, which is that we really believe in growing the, the people we have at the company. Um, and you know, coming in as an analyst, you know, learning engineering principles, learning a lot more about SQL, I think is a natural path to growing into roles without having to come in from the outside, but also bringing in and kind of retaining and continuing that culture within the team. Um, and then, yeah, you know, training, onboarding, uh, you know, it's challenging and it has been really challenging, especially being remote, you know, the last uh, kind of almost two years uh, through a pandemic, um, you know, we haven't nailed all of it. But, uh, you know, I, I think I, I think back to kind of a passage in the book Winning with Data um, that talks about what, you know, Facebook did around a, a data kind of boot camp when people come in. And, you know, one of my thoughts is that, like, eventually we need to get to somewhere like that. And that's not just for the data team, right? It, it's for the entire company. To, to help and understand how to think about data and how to, to build with data. Um, but Claire, I don't know if you have other uh, thoughts on some of the things we've done, particularly around onboarding. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, I think part of uh, Julia's question around hiring can be skewed for someone who's done it before. Like we saw that challenge a lot, especially within analytics engineering, just because it's new, everyone knows they need it. And so it's kind of a, competitive space. And one of the things that we're like, okay, we've had analysts that are, have been successful growing into analytics engineers roles. So can we create entry-level analyst roles where you can really understand the business context and you can start to understand our data and be around other people who are working within DBT. So you're kind of looking at that or, you know, potentially you're understanding the business more by leveraging a data catalog, or, you know, there's some other areas where you can be learning and adding value, but you may not have the technical skills yet. And is that, a you know, an easier role, uh, less competitive to kind of get people in your team where they start to understand the business, the data, 
so they can start adding value and then they can learn the technical skills. So we haven't, you know, we've been successful moving some analysts. So we think, okay, that could be a good path for us um, in the future is kind of that entry-level analyst role within that core reporting team. You know, on the, on this topic of culture and, and thinking about how we manage the culture of our teams, um, obviously as you grow your company, right, you have to manage how that culture will evolve over time. And then also kind of tying it back to, you know, we started to talk a little bit about data mesh as you start to decentralize, um, that can have an interesting impact on culture. Right. And, and obviously you kind of want like the data people in the org to have sort of a cohesive culture, but you know, if they're not working with each other all the time, you know, how do you do that? And so, you know, Nikki will actually ask the audience in the channel, does anybody have learnings they'd like to share from seeing orgs go from centralized to decentralized or vice versa? And then kind of tying that to culture, maybe starting with you, Claire, do you have thoughts about like how you want to establish that culture that goes across sort of a decentralized approach and, and sort of your, your thoughts on culture with centralization and decentralization? Yeah, I've been answering this question a lot. So again, if any Zebra folks are listening as we're going through our own little uh, centralized, decentralized, you know, I'm really confident there are some things that are core to our team. Something new we just did was data divergence days, where it was like our version of a quarterly hackathon. And it's like, that's something that everyone should participate in, whether you're supporting a core, you know, platform team or you are embedded within another team that's helping solve a specific business problem. Like there are things that I think we just need to continue to establish across data roles. Um, another one was like a data architecture group Tesh and I had nothing to do with that was formed by the team when they saw, oh, this is something we're decentralizing. And they said, this is something I see as a need, right? We need to be talking about these best practices. And that's a completely you know, team formed group and they've kind of recruited members of different roles and people not within data. But those are going to be more important because, you know, of course, you're still going to have your happy hours and your hackathons and all of that to keep the team together. But I think there's also got to be, you know, some of that kind of guild format where you have people across the company. And that helps with the shared ownership of data, too, because it's not just like, that's data org's problem. It's like, we're all, you know, we all contribute to the creation and use of data. And I think that's a good thing. How, how much, um, I always think about, we talk about the business or like the business domain, the business users, right? And then the data folks, like, is, is our data folks getting involved into the business practices domain or is it kind of the other way around or how, what is that balance there that you're, that you're seeing and, and what do you actually suggest? Because I think this is another thing when we talk about data mesh, the different domains and you push things onto the domain, like how there's a lot of blah, blah, blah. We're talking about this in theory. And I talk to people who's actually done this. And I mean, it, it's still a lot, to, a lot to kind of figure out here. So what have you guys actually done? What's working? What's not working? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what we've seen is working is when we have the data team folks working closer with various parts of the business, right? To, to understand and, and getting ahead, like starting from the very beginning of the product development lifecycle and, and understanding, helping define what questions we're going to ask, what we need to answer it, helping inform the decisions we're making around product development. Um, you know, we have uh, folks on the, the marketing side now that have built a very close relationship 
with a lot of our, our marketing team where they're involved in the decisioning. They know what's happening. They can inform. They're proactive um, and, and have almost kind of become part of the culture of two different teams. They get invited to events for both teams, right? And that, it, that's where I see like it, it really is, which is uh, on the business user standpoint, I think it's really about understanding what they need, what problems they're trying to solve. I think we can pull them into utilizing the data and empower and enable them. But I think then it's actually more impactful for us as a data org to go and get closer and understand really what the business is trying to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I go think, ahead, Claire. Oh, I was going to say, I think one of the, one of the things that we tried that didn't work is kind of, and I think we've always been adapting is where the role of the data product manager fits within this, because you do need people who are closely tied to the business, really understand that business domain. Um, but you also can, you have to be very explicit then about the role and what people are doing, because as soon as, because it's the same thing, you could turn a data product manager into a bottleneck where they're now having to play both a centralized and decentralized role. Um, and so that's another one where as you scale the teams, you also have to scale like it doesn't necessarily have to be a data product manager. It could be an analyst who's the subject area expert in that domain. Um, just being very explicit about what do we actually need out of this role? Like what are what are the problems that we're seeing in this domain and then adjusting accordingly so that you're not just putting people in different spots. You're being clear of you know, maybe we already understand the problems of this area. So we don't necessarily need someone to define them. We just need like help, you know, partnering and, and right and really nailing down the requirements. And that might be an analyst. So just being clear on the roles and how to support there. Yeah. Su subject matter expertise and also ownership is a very interesting topic. And so you mentioned about a couple of things you mentioned about the analyst and sometimes they're playing that role, but you also mentioned this phrase, the data product manager, which obviously was a central topic in uh, an episode that we did together, Claire. Um, and uh, what role are you seeing data product managers starting to emerge in uh, around this whole thing? And, and do you see them being more of a centralized component or do you see them playing a uh, more of a varied role? So, yeah, we've got right now, I think they benefit more on the centralized function because they can really help tie across all these different use cases. What is that core business domain knowledge that we need to provide? And so I think that's where the most benefit has been provided out of that role. Um, whereas then you have other analysts who are an input into that, that are very familiar with the kind of decentralized portion. But I think we've seen the biggest benefit to data product management more in that kind of centralized, because that's really where you're like, here are all my different user problems across all these different domains. And what do we need to build to support that? And that gives you more of the power of kind of that product mindset and thinking through the different personas and use cases of the data. This is really interesting because I was not expecting that answer. I, I always see the, I mean, if you think about the whole data mesh, right, the decentralization and the domains and stuff that you would, and, and the way how it's pictured is that, well, every domain has their own data product, your data product, and, and that gets in. And then the, when you look at all the diagrams and this product gets combined with another product and generates that. Um, but you're saying, no, the data product manager should be centralized. And I'm saying, okay, I, I, I buy that uh, when you're smaller. But at some point, it is, I mean, how is that going to go scale? Like, I mean, I, I can see 
that you want to go have data product managers for the central team, but then you also want them to be for the decentralized team. Because at the end, I've used this phrase before, you want them to be like liaisons, right? Uh, I'm the product manager for the central team. I know what's going on here. Like you, both of you all should kind of get your, your stuff together. And then because I need to go combine them because I have a broader context of that. So, so that I can imagine, yeah. but it, so it's, but yeah, it, it's, it's an, always a central it's an, it's an evolution, right? Because right now to Claire's point, they, they're understanding all the needs for the data, but then it transforms, I think, to being about the platform, about building the tooling, building the processes, building the, the thing that supports the data mesh, the, the, you know, the decentralization. And that's when you though then go and add the data product managers in the various domains who are working with their counterparts on the centralized you know, data platform team to make sure that the tools that are being built, the, you know, the, the, uh, the processes, et cetera, that support people building their own domains all, 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 like all work together. Hmm. And de depending on your company, your scale, your use cases, it seems like different roles maybe get spun out to the spokes, to the decentralized aspects in a different order. Like maybe as you get to a certain scale, analysts start to become more domain oriented at a certain scale, then maybe even your analytics engineers start to become more domain oriented at another scale, maybe before or after that is when your data product managers start to become more decentralized. And mm -hmm. you know what, this makes me think about some of the conversations that we have, you know, so I'm a product guy, we have conversations about team topology all the time and roles, right? And like, like, are you a product manager and a product owner and a scrum manager? Or are you just a product owner and a scrum manager, but not a product manager? And yeah, <laughs> you start to get into some of these topics, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think that you, you know, you definitely have a progression there, right? Like you can have an analyst in that role for a certain amount of time. Um, to to help because the analyst is going to be the the expert. They're going to understand the data. They're going to understand what we need to produce. At some point, though, it grows large enough where you're like, okay, this is a separate product. I'm not just serving the central set of data, but I, I'm also serving other use cases of this data. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I think I definitely want. I I agree. That's the state that we get to where it's like once you then move into kind of a decentralized environment, then you can have data product managers who are really domain experts in the area. I think when you have a centralized team with decentralized product managers, that's when you get into some challenges um, from asking them to, to do both. And it's like, okay, well, focus on your foundation first, then scale it out, then figure out what are the problems? Can you add this role? Um, so yeah, definitely the progression and depends on the state and scale that you're in. Yeah. And you know, we're, so we're talking about roles right now. Uh, and we've got a few roles that we've kind of mentioned about, right? Data product managers, uh, analytics engineers, analysts, data engineers, um, you know, uh, Kurt, uh, Lansing in the channel asked an interesting question or maybe more of a comment, right? He said, I never hear about database developer roles anymore. Uh, you know, and database developers, maybe they worked more on transactional systems, whereas, you know, we're having a little bit more of a, an OLAP conversation than OLTP. Um, you know, what is the future of that role? Is it dead? And, and actually, it brings, brings a broader question to me. There's sort of a whole class of data roles that are like mm -hmm. database developer, data integration engineer, BI developer, right? Like some of these roles that like, like some companies are hiring for them, right? But they, but you don't hear about them as much. 
uh, I don't know, maybe starting with you, Mitesh, like, do, do you see that some of these roles are fading? Is this more like modern stack versus traditional stack? Curious as to your thoughts here. You, you know, the, the no BS answer is up until the end of last week, I might have answered this differently. Um, but I actually had a really interesting conversation with our, um, with our, our principal data architect, um, you know, talking about the role of a DBA uh, in, you know, which is very much aligned with what was described as a database developer there. In, in a modern data stack. And, and there's still a need for that role that it's different, right? But it's all about ensuring the data is modeled in such a way that we can do other things with it. Ensuring that we're taking into account security, privacy, and other parts of governance practices, even in our, you know, uh, our runtime data that, you know, is still, you know, under CCPA and GDPR and a lot of these other things. Um, and you know, getting to a point where we have developers that are coming in, working with higher and higher level frameworks and languages that abstract away a lot of what's happening under the covers in the database, right? So you have fewer developers that understand truly how to model data, what's critical, what's important, how it affects things downstream. And so that role, it's maybe shifting, uh, it, but it is, you know, it, it's still important. And that's something that, like I said, no, no BS, I, I actually, my mind was changed at the end of last week because I thought that, oh, these roles are going away, but it, but maybe some of them aren't. Huh, this is, uh, uh, I didn't, again, another uh, response I did not expect. I thought you were saying, yeah, it's the modern data stack. It's all in the cloud. It's all self-managed. We don't need this stuff, right? But Oh, uh, yeah. Well, and the data architect is a is a role here that's very interesting where like, you know, is it the analytics engineer's responsibility to architect the right model, right? Like some of these things, maybe they turn into hats that you wear, but maybe there is still a role for some of these traditional roles. Apologies on the repeat of the word there. Um, but, uh, you know, a role for these roles still, right? Well, I, I, I also... I mean, sorry, go, go ahead, Vitish, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think there is because, you know, there's one thing that I, I look at every year I look back and, you know, being it's... My, my birthday, I look back kind of every year and I was like, man, I was stupid last year. Why did I do that? Why did that? And, and I think back to, you know, 21 year old me out of college and, and, you know, I was ready to go and I thought I knew the world. And like, I was like, who needs experience? And then, you know, as is probably cliche and like, you know, across generations, I kind of look back. I was like, man, yeah, experience matters so much. And when you look at it, you know, and, and you talk about the architect role, it may have been you know, in terms of a not like not in a modern data stack, but the experience of having worked with data and seen issues that come up, seen what works, what doesn't over, you know, decades is invaluable, right? Like there's no way you can gain that without having done it. And so I, I do think that that role is critical. And I think that there's a lot that teams can gain from bringing someone on who maybe they weren't, you know, the, the term analytics engineer or DBT didn't exist back then, you know, catalogs didn't exist back then, modern BI tools didn't, but a lot of the, the goals and a lot of dealing with data still did. So honest, no BS, what is it that you've kind of in this past year realized, Shh, I should not have done that? Um, I... I actually realized what I should have done. Okay. Right. Uh, Which is I spread myself uh, too thin and I should have uh, dug, uh, you know, deeper into some of the work I was doing and been a little bit more, I, I, I like to get things moving and going. 
um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm definitely about getting work going. And so like, I have conversations, I talk to people, get them going, but I don't always like pull that picture together and, and paint it for a lot of other people, right? Like in, in one cohesive picture for people outside of the, the teams doing the work. And so that's something I, you know, I continuously learn is that, Hey, that, you know, that's maybe part of my job now too. How about you, Claire? What has happened? What is this last year? Have you realized that I should not do that anymore or, or I should continue or something positive there? I should not do. I mean, I, I think it's, it's one, especially with growing teams, I think being quicker to make changes within the org. I think that's something where there's always going to be a, a different scenario and you sometimes you just got to try it. Like when you start seeing issues of we're, we're a bottleneck. Okay. What can we do about that? I think there's just like, you can make smaller tweaks along the way instead of thinking you need to have all the answers before changing something or making a big bang change at the end. So I think just, especially when growing rapidly and growing data teams rapidly, just being more like willing to make small tweaks along the way. Um, when you notice those problems and then measuring how you're doing against what you thought or if the problems are improving. So I think a lot of that where it's just kind of like what you, you know, iterative development in software. Okay, well, let's do that with some of our like test and learn on the um, org structure side, because all of us are kind of learning some of these new concepts and ideas together. Um, so yeah, it's about like really leveraging the community here and people who have done it before and, and, you know, testing out what works and what doesn't within your org. That makes sense. You know, and, and as we as we transition to our sort of last topic here before we do the lightning round, uh, uh, just a quick shout out to everybody who's listening right now. So uh, after this next section, we're going to do what we call the lightning round, where we do sort of these yes or no questions. So um, if you're hanging out in the Slack workspace, please hop into uh, Coalesce Catalog Cocktails channel uh, and feel free to uh, drop in some yes or no questions and we'll, we'll incorporate them into that last segment. Um, and with that, um, you know, just one other topic that uh, I know we were interested kind of, to kind of hit here. We talked a lot about sort of the data stack, right? And sort of, the, you know, the, the analytics engineers working on the transformation, the warehouse, run integration and BI tools like Looker, for example. But um, obviously, another key element that is increasingly being incorporated into the, to the modern data stack is the metadata component, whether it's things like catalog, governance, observability. Um, just curious from your, from your perspectives, maybe starting from, from you, Claire, and then, and then moving to you, Mitesh, is um, you know, what role is catalogs, uh, are catalogs and other metadata-oriented tools playing in your data strategy and what you're doing with your data teams? Yeah, I think that was the biggest um, biggest piece we were missing. We were moving fast from a technical perspective in terms of how do we model this? How do we make it available? But then you get to the point where we talked about earlier, where for someone onboarding onto data, that becomes very complex um, to traverse your giant DAG. And so then you got to say, okay, what's the actual, you know, who owns this field and who, you know, we just added our company OKRs, our key results, and we have executive sponsors for each of those. And it's like, where do you store that Confluence page or directly, you know, tied to the actual metric? Um, so I think from a 
you you look at your data and you're like, okay, what's the missing piece here is like the context around it and who I go to when I have a question. Um, just all of that information around how frequently is it updated? You know, some of that, that is just living in our centralized team heads that worked when we were a team of four, we could manage that information. It doesn't work um, when you scale. So I think that's where the metadata component comes in because it's really, this doesn't, it cannot scale to live in your head. And so where's the best place to put it? You know, we're, we're, we are implementing a catalog for that, so. Yeah, and, and I'll kind of tack on to the, the governance piece, which is, in my mind, one of the, the trickiest problems or the one that is also the most kind of opaque to solve around moving to something like a data mesh or scaling is how do you, how do you deal with federated governance, right? How, how do you do, deal with that? And, and that, in my mind, is where data catalogs and metadata-based you know, tools really play a part. Uh, there's no way you can go, you know, distribute and scale your organization if you don't have some way of making sure the data is trustworthy, making sure there's quality, making sure you have privacy, security, right? Like all of those things need to be built in. Otherwise, you have every team doing that themselves. And if every team is doing that themselves, then then what's the point of the modern data, you know, stack and, and world we've, we've kind of moved towards? So, um to be really honest and no BS here, right? We we hear a lot this term federated governance and federated computational governance, right? Coming from the whole data mesh stack. What do you what do you what do we mean by this? And actually, and, and if we can get really concrete, right? What is what is an example of this federated governance? I mean, I, I'd say at the very, very basic level, it's probably just some standard sets of processes, right? Of hey, here's how you go about certifying dimensions, certifying bits of data, you know, at, at the very basic level, and then tracking that it was done, tracking the audit log of it, track, you know, assigning owners. In my mind, that's probably the most concrete, but also probably the most basic. And I'm sure that there are a bunch of people listening and others that are like, well, there's way more than that. And I like, absolutely. But in my mind, that's the first like basic thing that comes to mind. All right, and then what? What? Okay, you we we do that. What? What's next? I mean, how and how how complicated or complex should we get to? Or, or I mean, that probably sounds too negative, but how more uh, sophisticated? Let's call it that way. How much more sophisticated governance should we do? Or, or what's the minimum? Or I mean, Tim and I've been talking a lot this too. Is like, what's the minimal viable policy? Let's call it an MVP that you should go. What's the minimal stuff? Right? I mean. I mean, I guess it depends on the, the company, right? Like we, we built a tool that helps us process CCPA requests, right? So kind of surfacing user data, deleting user data. You know, it, it seems like in a, in a world where we have federated governance and, and need to deal with compliance in a distributed way, we'd want to build tooling around supporting that, right? We wouldn't want to make every single team solve that problem their own way. So that's more than just a process, more than a, just a checklist, but a notion of this tool has to be built into every bit of data, you know, a, a notion of data that you provide. And here, here's the, you know, here's the, the steps to go do it. And here's the tool, right? And so I, I think that it goes from processes to then tooling to support some of the things that are a little bit more complex, a little bit more advanced. 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, we're obviously very biased here uh, on catalogs. We, we definitely believe that catalogs and governance, this is a key part that um, I just feel that sometimes it's, it's, it's not, it's not really big, uh, a big part of the conversation in the true landscape of data, right? You kind of say, oh, we need to have the governance. It's on, it's on one side, but it truly covers the entire landscape of govern of, of data. And this is something that we kind of see it too, too separated. So I think one thing is like you have the metadata and you have the governance, the, the policies, but you really want to have this stuff really connected to the data. And we, we see sometimes it's just like documentation, right? We, but it needs to be more than that. It needs to be the stuff that you could, I, I'm imagining a world where it's all, everything is completely executable. Imagine policies that we go define are executable code and, and, and it's not just English definitions and it's something that we can go, people can go reuse and check out and they can apply it. I think we're still far from that. And, and, and we're really not thinking about it because we're just so excited about, let's just get the data in and transform it. But, and the governance has usually been kind of this, oh, it's just for the CCPA, the GDPR stuff, but there's money that's much more than more than that. I mean, I've been having conversations with folks is like, uh, what is a telephone number? Like, how do we define what is a telephone number? And, and, and what is a mobile phone number? Oh, a mobile phone number. Wait, if it's a mobile phone number, it must have a, a TCPA consent. It must have a, a, an SMS. Uh, can we send SMS to them or not? Or, or, or voicemail? Like, so that's how we know what, uh, what the value, what a true telephone number is, right? And we probably know what this is. It's in people's heads. It's documented. But if we're going to go start generating data, I need to know, hey, that's a valid telephone number. Uh, or it's not, or you're missing. And, and if it's not, tell me why it's not, what's missing about it. I think we're not there yet. And I think this is where governance is key about it. And I think this is where the catalogs are going to play a key role. And it's not just about um, just, just, it's not just about bringing in what I, what are my tables and columns and how they're connected. It's really documenting and implementing this in an executable way. Um, and that's why I think is I'm really excited about how how governance and catalogs are going to play a key role because metadata touches everything. Anyways, I just went on this long ramble rant here. <laughs> well, I was like, think how easy it is to build data products uh, if you start from that foundation where you're thinking of, about the governance and the metadata and the policies around each individual telephone number versus mobile number. Well, then think about like, the product team's like, great, I can go use this in this way, this way, over in this pool. I know, I know how it well, actually it, works. It, it makes me excited, right? Because you look at it and you're like, oh, we we there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of growth in the modern, you know, data stack and data org, but there's so much more still to to innovate and solve, right? Like it, this is not a solved problem at all. I, I was I've been having conversations with a lot of uh, other companies and customers and stuff. And we we imagine is you have this model defined for customer. We, we, what is truly a customer from a modeling and, and what is a telephone number, for example, right? So then uh, we say, I want to go define data. I should be able to go click customer, click telephone number and like, here's what you should be able to go. Here's the minimal stuff that you need to go have for that stuff to know it's valid, right? That's, and, and, and as you can imagine, modeling and transformations, this is all key to it. So, yeah. Wow, we've. Uh, I think we got a few minutes left. We got to start winding we down. We covered some good round, uh, some good ground here. I know. I'm ready for my next cocktail now. So I guess yeah, that's exactly. what <laughs> should we should we do a lightning round? Let's, we've let's got some good. Uh, we got some good contributions from the chat. So who's first? Uh, Juan, you want to do yours I'll first? I'll kick it off. All right, we got this from Nikhil. Uh, met metrics layer. Is this going to become a thing? Yes or no? Uh. 
Not sure. I'm going to say no because I don't know what it is. <laughs> All right. Claire? I think yes. All right. Go, Tim. <laughs> I, I like that. We got two data points here. One is that we're still we're still learning about the metrics layer, right? And then also, like, you know, how useful is it going to be? Um, uh, so next lightning round question from Julia. Do companies need a machine learning and ML strategy? Maybe starting with you, Claire. Yes or yes. no? Yes. Yes. How about you, Matish? Yeah, yes. All right, we got two Absolutely. yeses. All right, so we got from Gregor. Is it even possible to build a modern data infrastructure with open source only? Yes or no? Can I answer with a can I answer with a but? Go ahead. Sure. I'd say yes, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Uh, Tim and I have a have a podcast episode on build versus buy debate, so we should uh, should listen to that one. Oh, I, I think I was that. open source and you were buy, right? Yeah, and I think <laughs> how about I'm you, on... Claire? Any any comments on this topic? No, I, I was going to say that was going to be my. If we even had time for advice, I was going to say uh, buy. <laughs> but it, I mean, you know, there is the combination. But I think my mind goes towards by often if you're a small team growing quickly. You go, Tim. All right. Next uh, question. Um, this one is kind of just a funny one. Uh, light theme or dark theme? Claire. Dark. Dark, dark. dark theme. Dark. dark All theme right. Sure. I'm a night owl. All right. <laughs> Final one from Kurt. Are there too many data tools today? Yes. Yes. So for those who are only listening and not seeing our faces, it just imagine somebody kind of moving their head side by side and kind of <laughs> come. All right. So uh, we got a yes. It's All a right. hot landscape. So it's one I would want to, you know, I would want to be in it. So I don't blame, I don't blame people for wanting to expand our ecosystem, but it's, it's, it's a hot space, right? It's, it, um, it's a hot growing space. So, so it's expected. Yeah. But do you know what tools in the center of the modern data stack diagram? DBT. There <laughs> you go. Well, catalogs too, catalogs too, but DBT. That was like data.world. <laughs> hey, we're, 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 we're great That's friends here. Like, are we going? Okay. Is this what's happening? Oh, crap. Yeah, I don't know. All right. We, we got to, we're almost done here. So it's our takeaway time. T, T, T. Tim takes it away with takeaways first. Awesome. Well, uh, I love our conversation about culture, right? Um, I, I love some of the suggestions that you gave, Claire, around ways that you can make culture, data culture work, even if you're decentralized, even if you have a large organization. You said data divergence days, a recurring hackathon, data architecture subgroups, especially if they can happen in a bottoms up way where people are kind of organizing it themselves, happy hours. Um, and, you know, uh, thinking about the different roles and how they work well together, right? Folks like data product managers, data stewards, uh, analytics engineers, right? Everybody can work together to really uh, create that culture and make it work for any scale of organization. So I thought that was great. Mitesh, you said that experience matters so much. And I think that's refreshing, right? Because I think that in a world where the modern data stack is, is, is such a big center of attention, we often think of like new tools, new tech, do you have 
have experience in this new tool or can you pull this off the shelf? But there's so much sort of knowledge that has been created around data management that we can be leveraging and we shouldn't forget our lessons from the past. Uh, and then finally, catalog, right? Catalog is a way that you can actually get into this metadata layer, collect that knowledge, have and, and sort of manage that governance, even federated governance. And obviously that can be a key part of the stack. So those are Tim's takeaways. What about Juan's takeaways? Well, we, we started this conversation almost an hour ago asking, hey, why is DBT such a big deal, right? And I think before DBT, right, there was no consistency on how we would go do data and transform data. We would just do it over and over again, right? Use some on some some tools, SQL uh, scripts that we could not go reuse, right? I mean, this was a big pain. And, and, and finally, there is just this uh, package. The DBT has just packaged this into a product that we can go, hey, this is how we can just make it, reuse this. And I think there's an evolution. We start realizing how we get there. Uh, and also from the team perspective, I think it's very traditional. We'll start small and be centralized to get consistency, to have shared hiring. And then that's how we start to find this balance of what we are, what we're centralizing, decentralizing. And uh, the honest, no BS about, about the analytics engineer. It's not tied to DBT. It is about transforming and modeling raw data into that data that the businesses need. That's call it analytics engineer, call it knowledge engineer, call it foo, whatever. That's what's going on right now. And I think that's the game changer right now in the industry. Mitish, Claire, thank you so much. I want to throw it to you very quickly. Final words. What's your advice about life, about data, about anything? Well, I can go first. Which, yeah. yeah, I can go first, which is uh, it's something I, you know, I tell my kids a lot when, when it comes to food, especially is like, you can't say you don't like something unless you try it once. Right. And this goes to the experience point and, you know, something Claire mentioned too, which is there's no way you're going to build experience without trying. Right. So, so try, you know, don't be afraid. Try things. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go off that. And it also goes to my buy, but my first role, I had zero data experience, but I had a Redshift database, found Stitch and found Tableau on top of it. So I was like, I'm a full stack developer. I just went from <laughs> database to ETL to, but it gives, I think that's where I'm like, take advantage of tools and how many there are in the market because you can turn someone with zero experience, but an interest in data, that's all I had, <laughs> into someone who starts to understand the different, you know, roles and components that goes along with it. So that's definitely, yeah, it doesn't always need, you know, all the coding experience in the world because you just kind of need a problem solving brain and a love for data. And I think everyone in this group and everyone listening has that. So. Love it. Well, hey, for everybody who's listening, if you like what you listen to today, like this is our show at Catalog and Cocktails. We do this live every Wednesday. We've done it for, I think, 65 episodes now. And please like and subscribe us. You can find us on all your favorite platforms. And we do this live on Twitter and LinkedIn and all that stuff. And we're starting to schedule for our for next uh, next year. And we really want to reach out to the practitioners, to the folks who are really implementing these things, because we talk to the vendors, we talk to everybody who's pontificating and all that stuff. Like, let's go talk to people who's actually who who rolling up their sleeves. So, if you if you want to uh, be on the podcast, shoot us an email. Just I'm Juan at data.world. It's super easy. And with that, yep. Mitish, Claire, and DBT, cheers. thank you so much for this opportunity. This was fantastic. And cheers. Cheers, everyone. This is Catalog yeah. and you. Cocktails.
A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Cataloging Cocktails fan base.